Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. It's one of those fun weeks where Don Pizzette is not actually here, and we know that. Don doesn't always listen after the fact, too, so we can say whatever we want this week, so we're going to have some fun, and we have the uh, the normal crew here. We've got Justin has actually taken Don's spot and Don's mic. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad we fired Don. I mean, um, Don will be back <laughs> next week. Sure. Yeah, we, we think, possibly, and we've got Daniel over there. Daniel, how's it going? I'm good. I was just sitting here thinking maybe we should change the name of the podcast to The Technado with Sometimes Don Pizzette. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, or or 50, just, put 50, a, right? just put a question mark on the end, yeah. I think, and we're the fine. Technado Nailed Don Pizzette? <laughs> no, no, not today. Yeah. And uh, we're also joined by Chirac. Uh, Chirac, how are you doing today? Fantastic. How are you, gentlemen? Uh, we're, we're good. I, I don't think anyone's called us gentlemen before. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, don't own horses. <laughs> I don't think that's the criteria. Yeah, 40 acres and a mule. Yeah, so. and a bolo tie. I need a bolo tie. Uh, Chirac yeah, is the, uh, the CEO of Excepto, and uh, you're joining us from, where did you say? The West Coast? Portland, Portland, Oregon. Beautiful country. That's one of the cities I need to, need to get to in this country that I have not made it to yet. Uh, need to make it out there. Well, let's uh, get, to, uh, get to know Chirac a little bit more in our first segment, which is Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Chirac, this is a five-minute segment. There's 45 seconds to a minute to answer each question after we ask them. If you go over time, Peter's going to buzz you, and we're going to move on. Peter's going to take our first question. All right, uh, just to start, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your company, Excepto? Excepto uh, is a uh, identity access management company, and uh, we are focused on changing the uh, identity access management to a passwordless continuous authentication approach. Um, and, and what I mean by passwordless is obviously not relying on passwords uh, itself is a good start to get rid of um, 70, 80% of the threat uh, surface and, and the breaches that happen, data breaches happen. Uh, the company is located in Portland, Oregon. We are early stage, we have uh, number of uh, large accounts and um, our focus is on using AI and machine learning uh, to deliver an authentication system that is not dependent on binary authentication such as passwords and MFAs and 2FAs and, and um, anything binary including biometric. Now, I was reading you know, a little bit about your company, and I come across the eGuardian product, and it says that it does continuous behavioral analysis or authentication. What are some of the behaviors that it's looking for, kind of analyzing in order to accomplish that? Um, the the eGuardian job is fundamentally is allowing you to establish a, a behavioral model of uh, both digital and physical space and, and kind of stitching them together um, by recognizing a set of patterns and habits. Um, what type of models do we use and what type of um, uh, behavior do we look at? Um, in the digital world, it is obviously certain things, uh, contextual data such as the device type, the browser, the version of the OS, uh, the type of audio, audio um, system that you have in your, in your device. 
so we can differentiate and identify if there's an anomaly all of a sudden uh, justin comes in and and is using a mac instead of his windows machine that's an anomaly of, of his behavior and at that point uh, we do um, as needed in the digital space it is a pattern of your use of um, apps um, as well as relative to your role and the rules that are set for you if you are an if you're not an admin and all of a sudden you use ssh for example that is an anomaly for your behavior if you're someone in finance it doesn't make sense that why are you SSHing or, or something like that or if all of a sudden you we see an extreme use of um, access and then download a significant amount of data we ingest data from your sim and from your dlp to detect any type of anomalies that comes in let's say that all of a sudden um, justin comes in and does um, or daniel comes in and and all of a sudden uses uh, four nights in a row he's logging in between 3 a.m and 4 a.m and is downloading significant amount of data or going using some applications that daniel has never used before these are the type of digital fingerprinting that we do for the users to detect anomalies. It's sort of the same applications that uh, a lot of PAMs use by whitelisting and uh, blacklisting uh, commands, as well as uh, activities that are allowed for the privilege access. We take it to the next level and apply it to all users as well. Sharak, what would you say are some of the, if you found any, the shortcomings maybe, the hurdles that you've discovered with using this type of implementation and what are you doing to overcome those? Most, one of the most, uh, the biggest hurdles is adoption of um, CISOs to a modern technology like this. Look, there's six decades of use of passwords. It is easier to go to CISOs and say, uh, we're gonna extend your eight character passwords to 16 characters or we're gonna give you a password vault, or we're gonna go and give you a single sign-on so you, you don't have to worry about the friction of the 20 apps that you have. Um, the, the industry, the biggest hurdle is, is the fact that there's not too many companies that are after behavioral authentication. Still, we are in 2008 timeframe when people, or maybe 2012 at best, where people are talking about um, authentication with passwords and changing passwords or having vaults and SSOs um, and basically dealing with binary authentication. Uh, behavior authentication and um, treating authentication as a single event is perhaps the second hurdle that we have. Everybody thinks about authentication as a single event. It starts and ends with your password and let's say your MFA and you're done really the authentication is a continuum and that's the second hurdle because most CISOs then they don't I mean not that they don't recognize it they recognize it but the tools that are available for them today nobody talks about continuous everybody says our job is authentication our job is single sign-on and they they leave it third is is fundamentally we have a system that is very old especially in North America we uh, our adoption of technology when it comes to authentication is probably uh, three to five years behind the rest of the world. Um, in Asia, uh, for the last several years, uh, probably not even several years, more than five years, um, the use of no password is something that is 
very common and we are still stuck on number of characters on the passports and how many passports do we have so adopting so the, the uh, technology is difficult yeah well what about, the, what about the oh, well, you're, you're talking to the adoption of the technology what about the technology itself is it having any or have you found any issues or difficulties with the actual technology and what have you done to kind of get past those you mean like false positives and yeah stuff like or that? Yeah. It's, it's having difficulty coming up with accurate behavioral patterns that kind of thing Actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to talk about false positives. We, we started actually one of the uh, roadblocks that we had in early stages of the company um, on when you do behavioral and you think about uh, what needs to happen in order to establish a pattern for someone. Um, the question comes in as how long does it take for your machine learning to learn the behavior of the person and to become effective? So what we did was we looked at it on how do we turn this from a risk to level of assurance. If you think about it that way, then your false positive becomes the status quo, which is MFA and the friction that MFA comes in. So if I make a mistake and I, by, by mistake, I, I recognize that, oh, um, you need to do a step up, then you are at the stage that you are today, which is the, what I call MFA fatigue. So the false positive is actually a technological barrier, but the way to deal with it is um, to change your approach and deal with level of assurance instead of the risk itself. Um, if you are sure, you let go and don't add friction. If you make a mistake and the machine learning makes a mistake and, and um, demands for a step up, then uh, hallelujah. It's basically <laughs> status code that you have today. And instead of 20 times a day getting MFA'd or, or um, n never getting MFA'd, you, you go back to the zero trust model. I, I noticed something about myself while you're describing this behavioral <laughs> analysis because you're like, oh, if Justin uses a Windows machine versus a Mac, it's anomalous or a different browser. If I if you told me that up front, I would go out of my way to use a different machine <laughs> and a different browser every day. Just to push them. Yeah. And maybe even like I, create I bots that like log into certain machines and things. Uh, now, but, obviously, there's a, a level of like, don't do that. But Actually, actually, it's, again, it's funny that you say that. Sometimes your abnormality becomes itself a normality. Hmm. Uh, for example, I traveled before COVID-19. Um, I traveled a lot uh, and that itself means that my IP changed my, uh, sometimes even my devices because for example, I use a different phone when I'm in New York because um, New York um, doesn't have good reception for my AT&T uh, phone. So I use Verizon when I'm in New York. So when I hotspot, my um, machine learning recognizes that actually I am in New York. And if I ever use AT&T, to hotspot that is itself is an anomaly that's so ab abnormality itself can be some sort of and randomness itself can be some sort of a um, behavior pattern that you can establish and recognize but at the end of the day us in north america we have four devices maybe five and we usually do our work from three or four locations of interest. But that's not important. That's all context. There's a subtle difference between context and behavior. Behavior has a time element into it. And that that is actually what our focus is because context can be always copied. 
you can always uh, mimic some IP address and, and uh, head, head fake it to the network that you're coming from a particular IP address. Sure. So as Justin's mother used to tell him growing up, being different is okay. Uh, and so you're I'm, right, pretty, I'm pretty sure your mother said the same thing, Peter. Yeah. Matter of fact, my mom told you. <laughs> She's like, that Peter boy, he is different. She's like, but he looks just like my son. On me was I was special. special. Yeah, special, yeah. different. So you yeah. know what? The word special is a loaded word because they're, oh, you're special versus you're special. Yeah, yeah, it's in, yeah. inflection. Now their context does change the meaning. Uh-huh. So. Well, cool. let's uh, let's hear a little bit. So we've heard about Accepto and what it does, and let's kind of look at the opposite side now in our first segment here. Uh, new tech this week. New tech this week. We got the scoop. All right, so our article that we're looking at is over at Slashdot, and Dropbox has launched a password manager, computer backup, and secure vaults out of beta. So uh, this is something they announced back, I think, in June, but uh, basically kind of just rolled out, and it sounds like it's it's really just kind of an answer to LastPass and the other uh, systems out there because they had acquired a company called uh, Vault, which doesn't have a U in it, so it doesn't make any sense, but uh, they acquired them... Uh, last year and this is kind of then rolling that into the dropbox family but uh it sounds like we shouldn't waste our time right Sherok? because passwords are are bad <laughs> is that did i summarize it right yeah I, after I, I, all of that you got it passwords are bad yeah, yeah. actually passwords are evil it's, oh, it's 60 wow. years 60 years and 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 the key thing is not just the passwords it's post authorization is where when all the evil happens so passwords are evil because of the fact that if you say that i'm going to have a vault and it's going to work again it goes back to convenience what is having a vault to do with your security if i can save my passwords um and um use a password vault um and and by the way we we do offer a password vault so i just want to disclaim uh, Put a disclaimer that is not that um, we say no to our customers that they do want password vaults but the reality of it is if you have a password vault it doesn't protect you from the bad actors because that cloud service that provides you this the access be it facebook or be it linkedin or be it box itself it, it provides you an ability to um, login from anywhere and any time and any machine. And if you have a password vault, you solve a different problem, which is your memory, whether you remember the password or not. Oh, that, I was thinking computer it. memory for so, a second. So there for a second, yeah. I mom. will tell you, Facebook's like, here's a password vault. I'm like, I'm good. There's, there's a bunch <laughs> of other ones. You know, yeah, enough about me. But they're basically the modern version of a, a, the sheet on Matthew Broderick's secretary's desk that he just pulls out and goes there's the new password exactly written right here if you have access to it i highly recommend that you guys maybe at the end of the section you should actually put ellen many years ago she had an interview about um not an interview an infomercial about uh, a password a a password keeper which was basically that excel sheet or or a phone book that you write your (laughs) thing and after midnight they advertised that um, you can buy this password keeper for $10. And fundamentally, this is what it is, 
right? Just a, just a yeah. piece of paper at that point. Yeah. So you so you mentioned that that you know passwords still kind of exist within your system. So I'm curious to kind of go back to the process. So let's say uh, I get up at three in the morning and I'm on my computer and that's completely abnormal for me and I'm doing different things because you know my boss called me and said, hey, I need your help. I'm out of the office, but I need you to step in and do this. So what happens? Do you lock me out at that point or does it then challenge you for a, a password, for example? So actually, let me let me correct it. We actually don't have passwords. So our solution and what we sell to our to our customers is getting away from the passwords on mobile, on web, including on their workstation. So those customers that they are um, already um, have to deal with passwords and they want to stay with it, which basically means that if you have AD um, and and you're dealing with Microsoft, you have to remain with. Uh, passwords because when you want to install a disk or something still the your workstation is going to ask you for your password in order to install the hard drive for example um, but our solution the way it works is that if in the middle of the night you um, something abnormal happens then that's the time that we do step up remember what i said earlier our job is to reduce the friction and elevate the platform trust and elevating platform trust is looking at um, abnormalities and demanding for a step-up authentication. This step-up authentication can be different methods and is driven by the policy of the organization and the compliance uh, rules and guidelines that the organization has. In financial sector, it might be a PIN. It might be doing a second factor or a multi-factor using your phone to get a push notification or it can be a biometric on your laptop on top of what you, you have entered your password. So it's a step-up authentication technique that uh, applies. In some cases, it might be just a denial of the service uh, and, and or logging you out and after the session is uh, established and then maybe sending you an audit trail saying that somebody tried to log you to, to do the following thing, 16 terabyte at uh, Sunday night. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad to hear, you know, what the system is because when I read continuous authentication with, uh, without passwords, I was thinking biometrics. And the only thing I could think of, I was telling Justin before was, uh, your keyboard actually having little pins on it. That's constantly pricking your finger for blood, blood samples. But this so, sounds a lot more painless. I thought there was going to be a USB device that I had to spit in every, like, we have coined a word called biobehavioral. It means that you, it takes your digital and physical behavior and derives a credential called biobehavioral. Biobehavioral is, is not like your biometric because actually, uh, even though that we use biometric as one of the methods, but it is decentralized, the biometric itself is probably the most dangerous binary authentications because you cannot even reset it. Um, all it takes is you give your thumbs up and um, your fingerprint is already out as long as somebody takes your picture with, with an iPhone 7 and later or, or Samsung yeah. Galaxy. I'm, right. I'm just seeing a sketch comedy thing going on here where Justin stumbles into work and he's trying to log in his computer, but he's got to take the breathalyzer. And since he's not drunk, <laughs> it's not letting him in. It's like oh, yeah. it's normal it's, for him to be hammered <laughs> out of his mind. <laughs> like, but I've been working so hard. We're sorry. Yeah. Access to that. Yeah, we don't smell any moonshine, sir, on your <laughs> yeah. breath. Something is wrong. Well, so, do you, does your platform store all this information? Um, this is actually a very interesting question because th there's a lot of people, they look at um, 
security and they differentiated with privacy. Uh, fundamentally, they are the two in a box. Um, do we store all of this information in our platform? We store the score of the confidence and the level of assurance based on the behavior. And when and that's what, what happens. So you can think of it, let me exemplify. For example, if it is a device, a particular Mac with a particular, uh, let's say that you're early adopter and you're using Big Sur instead of Catalina. So all of a sudden you, I see that you're using Big Sur on your, on your Mac and um, I, I look at that. I, I do a derived uh, or call it a hash uh, to simplify it, a hash of that to establish uh, that fingerprint of your OS. And when I see a change, and uh, then then I know that something has, modif has been modified on your system. And, and if I, uh, do I store it? The answer is the only thing that we store is the method of authentication to communicate with you for lifecycle management, which is your phone number and your email. The rest of the biobehavioral attributes are stored as hashes and they are not specific. Your location, for example, it shows somewhere in middle of Atlantic. And from our perspective, you're some billionaire with a yacht in the middle of Atlantic. <laughs> and as long as you keep logging in from the, that location on that yacht, um, or all of a sudden you don't, since the yachts are not jets, uh, five minutes later you're in New York, it doesn't, um, it calculates that this is low risk in does, order to log in. Does it do any kind of predictive uh, algorithmic thing where it says if you were in that yacht and you were headed from Florida to New York and it sees that you're logging in throughout the East Coast, once you hit New York, does it then see it as an anomaly or does it see, well, I predicted that, that was gonna be the behavior, therefore it is good behavior? Either you read our website very well or, or you're, you're super smart and we need to have you on our board to tell the story of the narrative of what exactly Wait a minute, does. did Daniel just get a job? No, it's, I did. it's definitely the first <laughs> well, option. Well, guys, uh, it's been good here. It's definitely the first <laughs> yeah, option. What? Well, I knew he was packing his stuff before the <laughs> podcast. It was a full of boxes. So, Daniel, it's actually spot on. It's um, the, the prediction actually is about the whole thing. Anomaly detection is about prediction. Think about the human brain, how it works. Right. The reason that you get... Um, all of a sudden surprise if somebody if justin is hiding behind the, the couch and wants to uh, scare you when you get to the office is because you don't expect him to do that and your brain is already predicting that there is a couch and you don't decode the couch uh, by your eyes and your brain you already have a uh, perceived notion of what the room looks like Prediction allows us to be able to handle a significant amount of data um, at the same time without burning, um, you know, um, significant amount of data center uh, compute time. And, and for that reason, prediction it allows me to say, I gave you the example of middle of Atlantic and being in New York City. Um, prediction says that if I was two minutes ago, I was in, or five minutes ago, I was in the middle of Atlantic and all of a sudden my look changes to New York, that is an abnormality because spatiotemporally, um, it doesn't make sense. However, if I authenticated at 705, this is pre-COVID days, and, and I logged in and then um, I started driving and I, um, I recognized that um, in 12 minutes later or 18 minutes later, 
whatever the distance to my work is, I get an error authentication and now I'm logging in from an IP address and a MAC address that is related to the office. Um, then that predicts that yes, usually Shurok logs in at 7.05, at 7.30 he logs in from his, his workplace. And that itself is a prediction. And when it comes true, I actually give it a score and say, ah, Shurok is normal today. And he did the normal thing, which he checks his email or does the work. And then uh, 15 minutes or 20 minutes later, he's at the office re-logging in. Well, this sounds like a really, uh, really cool product. So if people want to learn a little bit more about it, where can they go to, uh, to find out about you guys? Um, Basically, if you come to our website and we have a try me uh, passwordless uh, uh, link that uh, it takes people to take a couple minutes to actually experience passwordless and see how it works. Um, if you come to our website, all you need to do is either watch the video or click that you want to try a free trial and then we, we can basically set you up with our engineering team who will be supporting uh, the enterprise for their journey to passwordless and continuous authentication. And that's uh, excepto.com, uh, two C's, uh, two T's, so pretty easy to find there. And so uh, you mentioned that you're, you guys are pretty early stage. Are, are, you, are you still in development constantly? You're kind, of, you're kind of rolling out new updates as we go? Um, no, actually we went to production. We came out of stealth in um, November of 2018. Okay. We went to production of our product. Um, our, our biggest customer is CBS, uh, CBS Health who has been a partner and actually an investor to the, in the company. So we have deployed the product since 2016 and we have been in production since then, but constantly we are actually building uh, and advancing our platform. Um, we, we need to keep up with the threat actors. Uh, and this goes back to my comment about single sign-ons and password vaults and everything else. You have to keep up with the bad guys and uh, learn new techniques as they apply new techniques uh, and, and uh, identify uh, ROI on threat surfaces that are easier for them to come in. So um, we are in full production. When I say early stage, it means that we don't have 7,000 customers, but we do have some significant marquee accounts. That's fantastic. So, and I, I, I realized uh, that earlier I, I'd been practicing your name all day, and then when it, when the time came, I froze up, and I just went first name. Yeah, yeah you went first name. Well, I noticed. You're like, nope. Mm -mm. Yeah, so I apologize. I, I yeah, I was like a deer in the headlights. But uh, I want to thank Shirok uh, Shahidzadeh. Close enough. You got it. Nailed it. Okay. Oh yeah. man, that's Look a good me. note to end on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, out of your day to join us today. My pleasure, gentlemen. Have a good day and be safe. Yep, and thank same. you all of you, you for, but stick around. We've got a little bit more Technado coming up right after this break. Stay tuned. Do you know what's better than being an IT Pro TV member? Being a member for free. Hi, I'm Dom Pazette, co-founder and edutainer here at IT Pro TV. Once you sign up for an IT Pro TV personal membership subscription, you'll automatically be part of our referral program. Then all you have to do is share your personal referral link and code with your friends and colleagues. Every time one signs up, you get money off your subscription. Sign up enough and your membership is free. That's right, access to all your favorite IT training, totally free. Kind of feels like stealing, doesn't it? Check out the link below to learn how to get your code and start sharing today. All right, welcome back to Technado with Don Pizzette. 
Uh, I want to thank Shirok uh, Shahidzadeh. Dang it. See, I got you, cocky. You, you dirty, I got cocky. But I wanted stayed. to thank Shirok for, uh, for joining us there and uh, really, really teaching us a little bit about continuous behavioral authentication. That was really interesting and, and actually not what I expected. I don't know. Was that what you guys were expecting there? Kind of. I don't know okay. what to expect. It's just So, you know what? You don't need it if you just get rid of all your tech and go to live out in the wilderness. This is mm-hmm. true. That's true. You get yeah. you a nice little A-frame cabin. You build one room. Yeah. Middle of Montana. Yeah. You just need you a knock. all up. Uh, yeah. Like a secret Yeah, knock. you do. But you still need that old school Rolodex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ellen's password book, as he was saying. Filofax. That's yeah. weird that you could buy Ellen's passwords for $10. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I thought that was odd. The dark web has many <laughs> wonderful and amazing things on it that you should stay away from. Yeah. Well, we, we lost Shirok and we don't have Don, so we're joined in this segment by our uh, studio mannequin here in the fourth box. We've got Manny. The mannequin will look for uh, his or her uh, insights as we go along Sweating. here. Uh, yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's in Justin's seat, so yep. we, know, we know what she is dealing with, I think. Uh, all right, let's move on to our first article over at techrepublic.com. AWS announces general availability of Amazon Bracket? Bracket? Bracket. Bracket. Dang it, I knew you said it different. Uh, quantum computing service. And that's interesting because we were actually talking about uh, quantum stuff last week. So, uh, Justin, how does this fit in? So, this is one of those services where, as a developer, I'm trying to develop like quantum algorithms and play around with quantum computing qubits, but I can't buy one and set it up at my desk that's any meaningful. I can do simulations, but some of those require a lot of oomph. Right, but uh, the Broadcast service is actually going to provide access to certain quantum computers that you can run algorithms on. You can do something called quantum annealing, uh, and actually they're they're priced fairly competitively. One of the things that drew my attention to this was they have what's called managed notebooks. So if you've been in the Python community to the data science community, uh, if you're a scientist and you want to play around with this, you can launch a managed Jupyter notebook instance that'll interface with these quantum computers, and it's pay for what you use, right? That's the model for AWS. Uh, they give a pricing example for that one. If you use it for an hour and 15 minutes, it's like $5, hmm. right? Now, if you leave it on for a whole month, <laughs> that's like four grand, just yeah. so we're clear. So turn that off when you're done, or if you have a long running algorithm. Um, and, you know, we were talking before this segment, Braquette. I originally read it as, in Daniel and I were talking, Bracket. Right, kind of, <laughs> but uh, Brockett is the uh, is a Listen, notation. John Force in- is going to come in. He's going to win the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, the bracket. Yeah. Uh, it's named after a Brockett, which is a notation or called the Dirac notation in quantum mechanics. So hmm. that's why they use that. They always like the, you know what they should call it? AWS quantum computers. Ooh, right. Instead that of that seems reasonable. <laughs> instead of uh, right, and then you could say AQC. Yeah, and then that's that. There you go. Um, That'd be easier. But, but it does provide it's you. It's more fun to get fancy so that when they test you on that. You're like, what the hell is the thing again? I don't know. <laughs> I'll reach out to Jeff Bezos. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure he cares. Let Jeff know on our yeah. weekly call. Uh, the, uh, but this does give you access to quantum computers that you wouldn't normally have access to. Would this be um, better for mining Bitcoin? <laughs> you know, I have no idea. But um, your return on the investment probably yeah, at four grand out, a right? month. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it gets weird when you're talking about quantum. How much is one Bitcoin right now? Yeah, and how does the mining work? I don't figure it out. It's crazy. Uh, I'm looking it up. Even if it's worth your time now, 20 minutes from now, it's not worth your time. That's so. the thing. That's the thing. All right. All right. Well, one Bitcoin is $12,000. Oh, oh, man. Maybe you get one, go you're good it. to go. Well, knowing your luck, it spends you the better part of two months to figure out how to <laughs> write the algorithm to you're mine just Bitcoin. Out. And yeah. then and you're like, 
Oh, it's worth seven dollars. Oh. <laughs> I can't handle the market swings. The market has fallen out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you got you got to just wait it out. Then I think at that point. All right, well, that's good to know. I guess quantum computing is here to stay. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one and maybe talk a lot of, talk about it a little bit more when uh, maybe Justin or Don has had a chance to actually get in there and play around with Amazon service. So uh, let's take a look now at our next article from ZDNet.com. Windows 10, don't know what's in a new update? You will now, says Microsoft. Microsoft is trying to make Windows 10 more friendly for users who need to know about new features in major updates. I'm going to go ahead and whoop out my BS card and turn down on that. I, I was going to say, I call, I can hear a Cinderella. You don't know what you got in your Windows <laughs> update. Oh, well, yeah, we don't want to pay for the royalties. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a derived work. It's derived okay. work. Yeah. It's fair uh, use, like satire to me. Yeah. Fair use. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not an intellectual property lawyer, a copyright lawyer, or any of those individuals. But you know what? Sometimes I feel like you need a lawyer whenever you get those, like, here's what's in the updates. Like, am I just going to get a list? Yeah, that, well, so that's what's a little interesting to me because you, you can already see that information, obviously, and, it, and it's, uh, it's there for you. But I guess there's a new app now, uh, the Tips app, uh, that they're saying is like an iOS-like app uh, that will show you maybe a little bit more detailed, maybe a little more um, user-friendly for the layman uh, who, who wants to know. Because, it, you know, it said, hey, it's rolling out, you know, first to the people in, what is it called, the, in the circle? The what? Is it fast ring? Yeah. So, I mean, those people are, are the, the ones who already know, I think, where to go and find out what's in their updates, and they probably aren't putting in updates without looking at that stuff. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, Grandma at home isn't doesn't really care. She just pushes the button because it told her to. So here's my question. Yeah. Like, I've been using computers for a while now. I've never really gave a damn what's <laughs> in my updates. Just I need to know that I need to install them. Well, so yeah, you can't really say no. I mean, you can say like, no, but then software is going to stop working I, over I, time. And I totally think it's fine that, like, but do they spend a lot of time and effort into developing this system when they could have just been making better updates? And what, what happens when this app needs an update? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Oh, man. It we're we're going to update. What are you going to update? Me. Yeah. It's just big blow letters. Stuck meet. in a feedback loop. Yeah. And nothing works now. We all die. Yeah. Well, uh, it, fun it, times. It also <laughs> does work for the optional updates, it sounds like. So uh, those would, I guess, make a little bit more sense where you're making a choice of do I want to install this or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't see this making a huge difference because, like I said, you can already get that information if you wanted it. And probably most people... The, the average user. I mean, it says there's a billion people that are using Windows 10 right now. So here's my experience think, with know, the average user. Care. The average user and the Windows updates, they think, get it away, it's evil. Right? They, they think that they're going to break things, and that does happen from time to time. But generally, that's not what occurs. So, But they have this weird, like... Un, un, underlying belief system that my uh, if I update this machine it will break stuff or I'm doing a bunch of illegal things because they're torrenting like crazy or they've got an illegal copy of Windows so they're not updating it anyway because they a they probably can't because it's cracked or whatever right you yeah. think of like Southeast Asia they've got there's a lot of pirating of the Windows operating there's system there's one Windows copy yeah. registered there so they yeah. don't get updates anyway so what good is that to them I, again, it's just me. One man, man's musings. Uh, well, now, Don's watching this afterwards, yelling at the screen. <laughs> like, you bunch of morons! <laughs> yeah. Well, now you'll you'll know what broke your machine, though. Yeah, because you'll be able to look at. You know what I would value more is that that app was like, give me a rating one, like just like a little odometer, like likelihood to mess things up. Yeah, yeah. How much or, should I care about this update? Or what they should have done was created a system that said, I'm going to install updates, but first I'm going to take a backup of your system. And that way, if the shit hits the fan, I'll just roll you back. Yeah. And we, you could do maybe, 
I don't use Windows a great deal, so maybe it does that. I don't know. I haven't messed around with Windows 10. You, you can uninstall certain updates, so if they, they break things, you can roll that update back. You could use the Dropbox service to uh, to take a backup of your machine because that was one of the things in the, there you go. In but, the new Dropbox. But the user doesn't typically yeah. Like yeah. do that. So if the system was built by default to maybe take advantage of something, like I guess we're talking Microsoft to be like if you had a large enough OneNote or whatever. <laughs> you know. Big note. <laughs> it, it actually just it runs all of your... Uh, your your Macro. bits through hex coding and puts it into a OneDrive document. <laughs> yeah, there you go. OneDrive. That's what I'm thinking of. OneDrive. You can tell how much of a Microsoft man yeah. I am. Any thoughts on this one, Manny? Good All stuff. Right. Sounds good. SharePoint's your friend. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Woman, a few words in that, Manny. Is. All right, let's head over to our next article now, which is over at threatpost.com. Uh, POC exploit targeting Apache struts surfaces on GitHub. And I assume that's not people of color, right? That's... Uh, what are we talking about? Proof of concept. Proof of concept. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm like, you, what? You, you threw Daniel for a leg. He's like, what? <laughs> huh? Context, right? It's, it's all about context. Matters. So, yes. Yeah, so, so, proof of concept exploit is targeting Apache Struts surfaces on GitHub. I understood most of the words in that headline, but not when you put them together. I didn't understand. Yeah. So, all right. Daniel, so let's let's out. let's try to break it down a little bit. So, typically, when a uh, well, I say typically, sometimes when a vulnerability is discovered, right? They know that there's a flaw in the system, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can exploit said flaw in said system, right? Okay. Well, they create a CVE for it, and they put a, a post out going, hey, you know, we found some, some malarkey going on inside of our, our system. It could be bad. But so here's an update that fixes that. Usually, typically, that's how these things go. Uh, sometimes it takes a while to develop the fix for the system or People are still using unpatched systems. Equifax. It's funny you bring those up, right? Because we're talking about struts too, which was their issue. Uh, so it gives people, hackers, enough time to create a proof of concept that they could exploit the system. From there, usually worms and, and bad things typically are derived, and then we all hell breaks loose. Dogs and cats are living together and... You know, total anarchy. And, and you make sure you sell off all your stock before things go sideways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do that, right? Yeah. So that's what we have with Struts here. They have a couple of CVEs from 2019. Uh, these two bugs now have proof of concept code that prove that we can exploit those um, vulnerabilities. Are, are these patched in the most up-to-date version they of Struts? They are patched in the most up-to-date version. So these uh, are the versions that are impacted are Struts 2.0.0 through 2.5.2.0. Uh, remediation uh, includes upgrading to struts 2522. So if you just upgrade your struts, again, this goes back to what Justin was talking about just a minute ago about Equifax. This is exactly what happened to them. They had a version of Apache struts that was vulnerable, had a vulnerability, it was a known vulnerability. There wasn't a, there was a patch available for whatever reason they decided not to go with that and they were continuing to use the vulnerable version, and they got hit, and we live in that world. I can tell you why. It's a Java-based software, and I'm scared to update everything Java. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's all down. Everybody run away. Yeah. What'd you do? <laughs> I broke it. Gosh, Peter, why'd you hit that update Oh, button? man, <laughs> Peter's so dumb, man. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> I would have had packed your things for yeah, you. Yeah. Why are you pointing at me? CEO <laughs> just comes in and executes him. <laughs> Who touched the update button? <laughs> also, for some reason, this popped in my head. You said CEO. I was thinking of our guest. When he said you're a rich person in the middle of the Atlantic, I was like, like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the Atlantic. That's a sea of coins. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he'd have a solid gold yacht. 
that's just sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. It just walks across the yeah. bottom of the ocean. Or he filled it full of ping pong balls. So uh, for those eagle-eared listeners, I, I know we actually got a comment last, uh, the last time we had a podcast where it rained, where they're like, is that rain at yeah. whatever minute mark? Yes, that is rain uh, now. So uh, if, if you hear what sounds like a freight train and see me duck under the table. Um, <laughs> if Peter gets hit by a train in the studio, it was meant to be. Well, I'm saying tornadoes, they always say yeah. it sounds like a freight train. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's really weird about the she, rain? People she, go, oh, you didn't know it was going to rain? No, I didn't. Uh, no one knew it. <laughs> no uh, one. Including the weather. Yeah. Like, outside was like, man, it, hey, there's rain. No, they use AI and machine learning now um, yeah. to calculate. To get it wrong 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's We're like, uh, is it going to rain? Maybe not. Maybe yes. Right. Who knows? Yeah. That's abnormal. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move now to our next article from ArsTechnica.com. Something that I'm curious, would this work in the rain? Uh, SpaceX Starlink speeds revealed as beta users get downloads of 11 to 60 megabytes per second. Ookla tests aren't showing the gigabit speed SpaceX teased, but it's still early. So these are those strings of lights that people are reporting seeing in the sky. <laughs> uh, what are these, low orbit? Yeah, low uh, orbit uh, satellite uh, mesh systems. Yeah. Uh, so... Have, did either of you grow up with dial-up? I know Daniel did, yeah. but Peter, yeah, did I you? Dial up. Yeah, we, I had 14.4. So, yeah. so anybody who's like, man, that's slow, shut your mouth. <laughs> I think my first dial-up connection was a 14.4. Yeah, 14.4. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had a 56K, but I had to reconnect at least six times to get that, like, 48.8 connection. What was it you used to be able to do with it? Well, I think it was either, like, Boomerang or Slingshot, where you took two 56K connections if you had two phone lines, Ooh. and you could, like, couple them together yeah, that, and they, split the... They made special modems that was yeah. like a bonding mo- It was kind yep. of like how you do bonding with Ethernet. Yep. You're a uh, wizard if you can do that. Yeah, oh, but man. then you had to pay for two phone lines. Yeah. It was crazy. But, dude, living yeah. out. Then you... mom's picking up both lines. Yeah, when she's she... like, I can't call anybody. Listen, especially when you lived in a severely rural area that like people are going, man, this cable stuff is amazing. DSL's awesome. What you got? I got that dial-up, bro. <laughs> yeah. Man, y'all got any of that DSL? How I fast mean, is dial-up now? Like, what's, what's the fastest? 56K. Is that 56 yeah, yeah, that's where it's it at. Stopped. Yeah. It, it was uh, because it was an analog, the transmission that's speed. That's the, the peak of what it That's the, yes, the limitation of the technology. <laughs> the uh, So what really drew me to this is this SpaceX Starlink, this would impact some of those rural areas, whether it be in the United States or whether it be in any other country where they're like, ah, we don't have any technology. And I I know I would probably live a little bit further out of the city limits if it wasn't for the fact that I work in tech and I can't stand, well, number one, dial-up, but also if you've tried to use DSL, DSL used to be this stuff, right? (laughs) But, man, I tell you what. Compared to dial-up. Compared to dial-up, it's smoking, blazing. But nowadays, it is. You're like, does it work? Is it on? Who knows? (laughs) Um, So the 11 megabits per second, that's about what you're going to get. But that 60 megabits per second, that's, I mean, that's hoofing pretty good. Anybody got, like, a dial-up horror story? (laughs) I I do. I got one where I was, like, I was downloading, I want to say a game. Right, I was waiting for the, and it was almost a completion. And I was sitting there bored out of my mind, bouncing a tennis ball, and I missed the tennis ball. I hit my space bar, I killed the connection. I had to restart. And it was like everything. It was like a two or three hour wait. I was like, I hate dial up so much. Yeah, and the game was 80k. Yeah, it was super small. <laughs> I just remember when you're waiting for those pictures of Kathy Ireland to load. It's like yeah. one line. Yeah, yeah. One line. Man, she's going to be pretty. No. Is that mom? No. <laughs> One line. Well, why is this computer in a shared space? Yeah. Um, so the Starlink, they say that once everything's kind of figured out, they will try to get to those one gigabit speeds. And I'll be, I mean, if you can get one gigabit speeds and 
It doesn't matter your location. This could be a game changer, especially oh, yeah. for countries that have very large landmass, sparse populations in certain areas. Now, it just so happens the United States fits that criteria, but there's other places that fit that criteria as well. But but as someone who's, who's had uh, satellite television, would, would this current storm mean the internet's going out you know I, this is one of those where i'm focused on the, the possibilities of living in like remote montana and yeah. still being able to connect to the internet that i haven't addressed that i did have satellite internet uh for a while and those signals were stronger than normal satellite television hmm. okay they did waver during like real hard storms yeah, and stuff yeah. so when you need the internet the most <laughs> yeah you're like man i am bored i can't go outside let's watch tv oh nope Sorry, not going to happen. Oh, I got my dial-up backup. Yeah. Let's do it. Net zero, baby. Net <laughs> zero. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, I can see this much between the toolbars. <laughs> oh, man. Goodness. I've got one inch of actual web page and seven inches of toolbars. Mm. All right, let's head over now to techcrunch.com for our next article here. Instagram wasn't removing photos and direct messages from its servers. What? <laughs> you. Well, that's, no. that's Shut your unless, mouth, Peter. That is absolutely to? crazy. The article says that they should have been, or they said that they were doing that. Like, it takes up to, like, 90 days. After you delete something, this is from Instagram, it takes ninety up to 90 days for that stuff to actually, like, be gone. But this gentleman, or whoever, was a researcher, uh, they got a $6,000 bug bounty nice. because they realized that when they did, there's an optional feature to say, hey, I want to, I want to, Take a look at the data you have on me, and you get a download of it. And when you look through that, or they look through that, they found, oh, there's some stuff I deleted like over a year ago that is still in this download. So 90 days to you means something different than it does to me because 90 days is not a, yeah. 90 uh, Jupiter days. Yeah, yeah. there you yeah. go. All right. I've got there's, there's a subscript. When, when you said Instagram wasn't removing, I heard Facebook wasn't removing. Yeah. Well, so they're you heard the correct. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they are. So I just assume whenever I ask someone to delete something, they're actually just flagging it as deleted, and so it's not displayed to me, but they maintain that data. Yeah. Is that a wrong supposition to make? Because I like, there's a bunch of those. As much. There's a bunch of those apps that say we deleted. I go, uh huh. <laughs> well, I, I mean, feel like there's always an implied. When you delete something on your own hard drive, it it isn't deleted, right, until it's written over. Yeah, but that's something I control. It's not sure. a service that I'm uh, opting into that where they have told that? me deleted. What does deleted mean? Does it mean only flagged? So you have to read the fine print of your SLA to understand what that's supposed to mean. And here's where they get in trouble is they, and good on, good on um, Instagram, they paid out a bug bounty. This person found out. It does appear that they were unaware that that kind of data was still lingering around for that period of time. And they have stopped posting this person's photos on their own <laughs> Instagram account. Just, you, know? Yeah. you know what this kind of sounds like? Uh, so this would be like a batch process. I would assume yeah. this is a batch. Like a bunch of things get flagged. Right. And instead of eating up CPU time, they go, oh, well, every once in a while we'll batch it. I could be totally wrong about right. this. But whoever wrote the batch process, it's like, oh, well, we actually changed the delete flag from uh, delete with all capital letters to delete with lowercase letters. And then it just doesn't do a lookup or a query or whatever it may be effectively. But... I yeah. just always assumed it was still around. I don't see why, yeah, why they do it maliciously because, I mean, to them it's just more storage space to have to. Well, that data is worth a lot of inf- a, lot, a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So. When, yeah. They, when they want to make the deep fake of me. And you know, more Facebook has never had an issue with selling user data. Oh, you're being facetious. Ah, yeah, there you go. Okay. I, I need to get some, like, 
some script tags that say sarcasm. It's on hard, your yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell. With or, you or you go into a, like a pixelated pun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right. Anyway, I'm glad we got through those articles. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Good we time. nailed it. Uh, hey, Justin, uh, you're going to be busy on, is it this Thursday? Yep. You've got a webinar? Yeah, that's coming up. It is the top five DevOps myths destroyed. Uh, and that's taking place, uh, you're explaining the common misconceptions about DevOps. That's taking place on Thursday, August 20th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 Pacific with you and Joe Peacock. So uh, any any teasers, any spoilers? Tannerite. Mm. <laughs> Is that how you're going to take them out? Yeah. yeah. There's always an explosion on Mythbusters, so I'm assuming. We've got to have our and own. And this. We're, yeah. th- we're, this is not Mythbusters. Clearly, this is Myth. Yeah, because destroyed. we don't want to be <laughs> myth a cease and desist from Discovery Network. Yeah. But, no. But, yeah, well, they also have access to a lot larger explosives than I think we can legally acquire. No, no, no. We'll find out on Thursday. We can get something. I will make sure to be a safe distance away in a bunker. And then... Yeah, you can you can also go to itpro.tv slash webinars and sign up for that webinar and also see the on-demand webinars that are all over the place as well. We've got tons of them. Um, I'm looking at Daniel's here, Secure Your Future with CompTIA certs we just did about a month ago, and uh, Don's Three Things You Need to Know Before Starting Your Own IT Business. So that's all over at itpro.tv slash webinars. And also on that internet uh, at go.itpro.tv slash technado, you can get a seven-day free trial and a 30% off coupon code for your subscription to IT Pro TV as a personal membership. Uh, you can also request information as a business and get a demo uh, specific for you and see all the fun things that you can do for your team in IT Pro TV. That's over at go.itpro.tv slash technado. Well, I'm always surprised when we make it through an episode without Don. Uh, you are? I, I really thought we fired him. <laughs> We'll find out next week if, uh, <laughs> if Don's here or Justin. I feel like there can't be both. Uh, now. Well, is it a battle to the death? Because I'm betting on me. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. It's that scene of uh, uh, the cable guy. <laughs> yeah. We must fight to the death, Don. <laughs> if we don't, they will kill us both. <laughs> All right, well, thank you to Manny for uh, for your input today and, and sitting in for Don. Uh, I mean, honestly, did about as much as Don does. On yeah. the, uh, <laughs> it was insightful. Yeah, yeah. On a week to week basis. And thank you to Sherlock. Deep. For, for joining us as well. And thank you to all of you for joining us, and we'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.